Hello, my friends. This is Andy and Hedia coming to you live from Orange County, California on a special 9-11 show. Um, and it's, uh, you know what I love? What? That uh, as older people, mm. or an older person with a younger person, <laughs> um, we have so much in our history. Yes. So many different phases of our life, almost different people. Almost different people. Yes. And uh, today I put a post on my Facebook page that uh, I said where I was uh, during 9-11. We'll go into that just a little bit. Um, but then I said, where were you on 9-11? And every, I mean, everybody that posted could say exactly what they were doing, where yes. they were sitting on a couch, on, on a certain chair, um, eating cereal. I mean, I can't remember what I did yesterday, right? much less what I did, you know, a year ago, but 20 years ago, we can remember exactly where we were. Yes. And you happened to comment on my post and I was thinking, gosh, did we ever talk about that? No. Because <laughs> we've not had a 9-11 together. No. So it never really came up, but I, I knew uh, of your history of working with the FBI and some other stuff, which again, we'll get to in just a minute. Um, and so as you told me the story, I was, I, my jaw hit the ground and I went, oh, I didn't know that. And then what happened after that? And then what happened after that? And you're going, well, then and then, and, and then you went on. So uh, I believe uh, based on our audience who follows us on our living to fearless devotional uh, uh, podcast and, and live broadcast we do, I think the people that have gotten to know you over the last several months would find this interesting but even more so people that have no idea who you are. <laughs> well, that you. graphic sure is going to throw them yeah. off. They don't know who I am. Yeah, that, that, that's wow, my head cover came <laughs> off. <laughs> um, but you have an incredible story. And so I thought it was important for us to uh, go through that story because I think it's uh, something Americans and uh, I mean, people in the world need to hear about what was going on and how you tried to warn them. We did. All right. So uh, I want to do this a little a little slowly. We have some comments coming up. And yes, if you could comment, that would be great. We would appreciate it. And of course, some of our, our most favorite people are on here, Amy and Priscilla. But Hi. please comment if you have any questions as we're going through this. Yes, uh, feel please. free to ask questions. And uh, we will, uh, you know, I'll do my best to get to them. But uh, this story is wide wide it's is that a good way and i got and i have to forgive me if i mess up some of the dates because this is i'm recalling oh. stuff that's 25 27 years old so yes. i'm going to do my best so i want to go back to the 90s um and just just focus on telling me where you were in your life what faith were you following and and what was happening in your life in the in the 90s leading up to 99 okay well i think i have to explain how i came to islam because okay. I was, uh, you know, we mentioned this briefly and I won't, I won't spend too much time, but I think it explains how I got into counterterrorism. So the, my first introduction to Islam was with an extremist group. And so I was like, oh, this is terrible. I want nothing to do with this. And I was, was going to leave, basically. Mm -hmm. And I came across what's considered a mystical community. Uh, it's known as the Sufis. So it was there that I found a home. But what I discovered, because here I am an American and now a Muslim, I knew nothing about the world politics of Islam. I was looking for a relationship with God. So what I was told is that I walked into the struggle for the soul of Islam and it's playing out in mosques across America. And I just thought this, that sounds ridiculous. I, I just couldn't believe it. And I just dove into understanding what exactly this fight was. And so this is the mid 90s. Mm -hmm. 
This is it starts in 1994 for me. We're in the height of the Bosnian war against the Serbs and the Afghans were fighting a civil war. So the Afghans wanted uh, the Taliban wanted to gain control over Afghanistan. And they were fighting basically the secularists, the modernists, the, the Russians, the communists. And uh, there was a massive recruitment in the United States um, for Muslims to go overseas and fight. So that's where my research began is for in the Taliban or for the Afghanistan for all sides. Everybody was recruiting, okay. you know, the extremists were recruiting the uh, the Patriots were recruiting. I mean, there were guys that were going over converts that were going over to fight in Bosnia. One guy was known as the one legged jihadi uh, and he was going in. They, they were they were just going to fight. Mm. You know, they, they didn't know who they were going to fight with. And most people were saying we're fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan, but it was no longer Soviets there. They were just Afghans fighting Afghans. But we know now that it was it was the Taliban and then soon to be Al Qaeda fighting for control of Afghanistan. Okay. So in, in, in at this time when you're in your faith, then you find a, a leader that you Yes. So I was part of a particular Sufi community that was very outspoken against the extremists. Mm -hmm. So it was within that community that I was learning and speaking to young people that had either gone overseas or were considering to go overseas. I was like, what what motivates you? Why would you do this? What do you think the fight is about? And I just started to do all this research and I was attending local mosques in Northern California because that's where the community was based. And it was at one of those mosques that I ran into a couple of FBI agents that were just, they saw what we were doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically they approached us and said, you know, what are you guys doing? And I was like, I don't know, what are you doing? <laughs> and that's actually how my relationship with the FBI began. So uh, just a little bit of more background just with you personally, because you, you I mean, how old are you? 94, if you don't mind me asking. <laughs> 25. 25. So at 25, you're starting this new faith. Yes. And then in a very short period of time, you became a leading expert. Yes. But, but just understand, audience, is that you uh, were a very just, good student. I just graduated law school. And you were in law school and graduated. I passed the bar. You went to USC and UCLA. Yes. So you had a, a, a knack for gaining information and, and, yes. and, and becoming what essentially would be an expert. Yes. I mean, it took, it wasn't, I mean, I, I was consulting for the FBI from 95 onwards, but it wasn't, I mean, my appointment to Afghanistan didn't start till 2004. So, I mean, I'd, I'd worked pretty hard by the time I was appointed to the embassy. Okay. Uh, this video we're going to show that with this was not 99, though. This was 94. <laughs> 90, the videos, 98. 98. It's the um, opening day of a conference that we had hosted for 15,000 people. The president of Chechnya, if anybody knows where that is, uh, was our chief guest of honor, and I was one of the um, speakers. Okay. So, just for, you know, just for maybe a little bit of context, people to see you, how you were back then and show that you were actually doing this because there's is a, a, a little bit of, you know, credibility that you want to give when you're talking about this. Just like <laughs> yeah. you and I decided, you know, what, let's go on, let's go on Facebook and tell a story. Now, I want to show where you were at that time. You're well, and it's funny because I have people that post on Christian, um, my Christian post articles, like, I don't even know if I believe she was a Muslim and I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's a little bit of uh, video of, of Hedia and you're speaking in front of how many people? Uh, this room has about 6,000 people in it. 
it was the opening ceremony. And the interesting thing is CNN. So you'll see the clip is from C-SPAN and CNN covered the conference because, of course, this is entirely coincidental, folks, but it happened to be the day of the Africa bombings. So bin Laden's first official strike on the United States happens the opening day of our conference. Okay, here's a little bit of Kenya. I'm not sure when I'm going to stop it. I'm just going to play a little bit just to show you. Just see, see me young. Yes. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, I got it. Sorry, got to mute my mic, or else it'll get an echo. Unfortunately, I lack the genius and skill of my chairman, so I wrote a speech. <laughs> in the name of God, most gracious and most merciful, and in honor of our beloved Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings be upon him. I welcome you to the Second International Islamic Unity Conference. We are honored that you have chosen to join us this weekend and hope that you enjoy and benefit from the wisdom and scholarship that will be presented throughout the next three days. We sincerely thank our guests who have traveled from distant lands to represent their people and to show the true diversity and beauty of the universal Muslim community. Islamic Supreme Council of America was organized in response to the overwhelming requests of our members to create an advocacy organization which would represent the traditional teachings of Islam both in the American political system as well as in the media. It is our sincere desire to demonstrate that the majority of Muslims in the United States and throughout the world advocate peace, tolerance, moderation, and most of all, love among all members of humanity. What'd you say? I did believe that when I said it. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting. I, I have this weird feeling that I saw that. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, I don't know. Uh, or uh, you could have been watching CNN. It was before Fox. Oh, uh, it's possible because I was a big fan of CNN back before they yeah. were, became lunatics. Right. Um, how is it that they, how is it because women in Islam are not generally looked upon as authorities or anything? How is it that you became, uh, you know, they say, hey, Hedia, speak before all these men? Well, honestly, it was um, so the chairman of the organization that I represented um, was new to America and I wasn't. Mm. And so, you know, I'd been involved in politics since I was young. My father was very involved in the Republican Party. And so and I spoke perfect English. And so he he was uh, maybe wise enough to realize that I was an asset mm. and um, put me out front. So I organized the conference. I was responsible for 157 speakers. We had 350 hotel rooms, you know, 15, 16,000 guests, and I was responsible to coordinate the entire thing. So wow. it was a monumental effort. So that speech, uh, after that speech, uh, it went well, I'm, I'm guessing. And then, Very well. And then so were you asked to do more things after that and were put in the position of, of leadership? Or Yes. Yes. I was, uh, I was the one responsible for all of the administration organization. I moved to DC specifically for this purpose after this conference. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because Amy's asking, what's that guy behind me? Well, after I speak is our chief guest of honor, who was the president of, Mes of uh, Chechnya, President Aslan Maskadov, who's now dead. Uh, and so the guy behind me, also now dead, and everybody to the right of President Moskadov that was in his party is also now dead. Um, the Russians killed them all. 
So after bin Laden attacked the United States, which uh, I guess we're going to go into that backstory, um, there was there has been just a constant massacre of Chechnyans in in what is now, you know, still part of Russia. They never gained their independence fully. Okay, so that's 98. Um, and what is happening between 98 and 99 that gets you to uh, another important place uh, in our history? <laughs> so President Moskodov was our guest and he stayed with us a number of days and he had asked us to come back to Chechnya because he wanted to present evidence that uh, the, after, the, after the Africa bombings that you know, uh, bin Laden had set his sights on the United States. Mm-hmm. He was recruiting um, students and foreign fighters to plan this spectacular attack against the United States. And he was using Chechen territory because it was somewhat lawless and uh, was trying to acquire nuclear suitcase bombs and all kinds of weaponry. And he was really worried because he still had this problem with Russia. And he's like, the last thing I need is for this guy to attack off, off my soil or me be involved and my people get killed because of it, which is actually what ended up happening. Well, it's important, I think, to remind everybody is that we supported bin Laden up to yes. up, up to this point, I'm guessing. Up until we 96. And money and support to, to, to fight, fight the Russians. To fight the Russians. Exactly. So we thought the enemy of our enemy is our friend. Wrong. Again, this, is, this goes back to my article, the second article, the article I wrote um, before this last one about... Um, in the Christian Post. In the Christian Post, which was... Uh, the State Department never understands religion. They just never do. Right. So they just figure, oh, okay, we'll use this ally against that ally. But they didn't understand they were fighting a, you know, an apocalyptic war that would eventually turn against the United States. And so arming them would be our demise. Hmm. Uh, but they didn't think that that was relevant. They thought it was practical. Exactly what we're doing with the Taliban now. They thought we're negotiating with businessmen. So <laughs> yeah. these are not businessmen, folks. Yeah. So when the, the president uh, tells you, the president of uh, Chechnya, Chet, Chechnya uh, tells you that, hey, I need some help against this bin Laden dude. Yes. That you guys are supporting, had been supporting. What's the reaction? Is it like, well, no, this is one of our business, well, business buddies, one of our friends. Well, our chairman decided I need to tell the Americans, what do we do? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, let's do an open forum at the State Department. I was like, let's, we'll tell the world. We'll just do it on the biggest platform we can get. And therefore, we'll exculpate the Muslims. We won't, the Muslims won't be blamed because you will have warned them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that sounds a little bit dangerous. And I was like, no, 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 it'll be fine. Everything will be fine. <laughs> what, what, made you, last words. what made you feel like it would be fine? Is it, was it a, it's this important yes. that, that we give them this information and yes. they believe us? So you are going to, no matter how difficult it looked like it might be, that you said it doesn't matter. It's that important. Exactly. That we would be patriots. We'd be hailed as patriots. Yes. And you were convinced. Yes, absolutely. I was convinced. And so your job at this point is to put together the presentation. Yes. For this, this I, I wrote I wrote the presentation, um, did the guest list, organized it with the State Department and um, hosted it on behalf of our organization. And where did you research your information? Where did you did you just um, uh, use the the president of Chechnya as your source? Or was that was other? mostly that was mostly a source. But I had done a tremendous amount of background research on how Bin Laden was recruiting. I, I had by that point interviewed hundreds of guys that had gone overseas, mm-hmm. family members, uh, people that had come back, uh, family members of kids who did not come back, and basically understood um, their methodology. Were you working with the FBI yet, or you yes. just had befriended? I, I, we were. I was. Uh, I was an informant since '94. Okay. 
And had you shared in this information with them yet about what you had learned from the president of Chechnya? And what uh, I mean, yes, yes, we had, we had, but it was, it was literally, sorry, it was literally two guys. It was literally two guys in the entire FBI. So it was, it was did they look at you like, you want to do what? Did they- uh, no, they were just like, okay. You know, I mean, they didn't pass judgment. They were, oh. you know, they were just kind of like, okay, that's another data point. But, you know, it was, it was a really, really small effort in the United States. There was only two Arab speakers in the entire country. Did they think that Bin Laden was a threat? The two um, Yes, they did. And yes, they did. Did they tell you what they had told any other person in the government, U.S. government, about their feelings? They were very low ranked. <laughs> they were very low ranked. It wasn't until much later that um, the big hitters got involved, but mm. they, you know, they were just writing small reports that nobody listened to. And, and we were doing a lot of the open source intelligence for yeah. them because they did not have the Internet. They only had an intranet. So crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy. So in the 1990s, um, leading up to 2001, I was a police officer with the city of Anaheim. I was in detectives for some of that. I was also in patrol and some other stuff. Uh, but I had been in major incidents with uh, major narcotics and some other stuff. So I, I worked with the DEA. There are cases I was working with and the detectives with the FBI, uh, ATF in regard to um, uh, forgery and oh. weapons, but forgery and weapons. Um, and so the one thing that I, all of us in law enforcement knew is that there was a, um, a rivalry between each one of those, uh, uh, law enforcement agencies yes. and our law enforcement. And it, you include CIA and all this. CIA is mostly. Nobody did know it. CIA didn't talk to anybody. Yeah. Still yeah. don't really, but. <laughs> CIA is intelligence gathering. They're not really law enforcement. The intelligence gathering, you got FBI, which is law enforcement investigation at the federal level. You got uh, uh, DEA, which is narcotics and uh, just some like shaky shenanigans. And then you got the ATF, which is uh, another way, you know, weapons and, and, and yes. that kind of stuff. Uh, oh, Secret Service also does treasury uh, investigations. So you got all these agencies, they would Stoke not type. dare share any information with each other. And they didn't want to divulge their confidential resources yes. and that too. You know, they didn't want to compromise their investigations or their research. Yeah. I mean, but, all, but yeah, but also they didn't want the big bus going to get anybody else getting credit for any kind of bus that might happen. Yeah. That. Um, and so... With that, did you did you already feel that working with the FBI? Did you already realize that, you know, this information that you had, you couldn't share? Like you couldn't go to the CIA. Oh, I went everywhere. I, say, I was not limited uh, really? in that capacity at, at all. So, I mean, when I when I was in D.C., I literally locked on doors. Oh, oh goodness. I'll never forget this one conversation. I love we no, we knocked on every congressional door that would listen to us. We went and told everybody we can get our hands on. And we had described it as the extremists persecuting the moderates here in the United States, which mimicked what was happening overseas. And we begged them to take uh, to pay attention to it. We I'll never forget. There was a one African-American congresswoman who said, you know, what you're describing to me would have my people still hanging on trees. And we just stood there, like literally gape mouth, like we didn't even know what to respond because basically she was saying the way we were describing this internal conflict was like as if it was between white America and black America and were white America to suppress it, black people would still be lynched. Mm. And, and we just realized that people were just not willing to hear it. Does it rhyme with Maxine Waters or no? No. Oh, darn. 
I can't remember her name. So long ago, I can't remember her name. I'm glad I didn't say Max. It was one. Of, it was one of the worst worst meetings we ever had. Yeah, you've told me a couple of these conversations that are just jaw dropping. Like, <laughs> yes. These people don't live in the real world. No, they just don't want to. They don't they, understand religion. Um, so one thing I want to want to ask, and I meant to ask it earlier, is that when you're talking about the the the, the Muslim, what was it called again? Muslim Brotherhood. The, the Muslim, but the well, you got the extremists, and then you had the. Yours. Who are Sufis? Sufis, is it like? I mean, is there a rivalry there? Or can they like show up together and get along and, and have coffee together? No. Is it, it's is it like? Uh, no, they kill them. They, they kill each other. Yeah, I mean, okay. not kill. Usually, don't kill each other. It's usually just the Sufis being killed. Mm -hmm. So in yeah. Africa, what we were trying to explain to people is that before they turn their sights on the West, they had to they had to culturally deconstruct. Um, Africa and South Asia, because that's where Sufism was most prominent mm -hmm. and it was holding on to the cultural norms. So they had to level those people first before they could plant a base from which to attack the West. So my reason for asking that is I'm just wondering, did some people think that you were saying this about bin Laden just because you had a grudge against? They knew we had a grudge. Mm -hmm. They thought uh, there's another congressperson who said to us, this sounds like a marital dispute. You're asking us to get involved in a marital dispute. And I'm like, are you not understanding me? I am not talking about a marital dispute. So they thought when we went and did the State Department address, we were just alarmists. We created a Spectre Bazaar to gain attention. Mm. We just wanted fame. Spectre Bazaar? Yes. Is. is basically making up some dramatic hypothetical to get attention. Mm. So you continue with this. Bazaar. Yes, with a specter bazaar. <laughs> and so you're putting together this conference in 1999. You're putting the slides together. You're doing the research and you're heading it up. Yes. And um, and you are focused on, hey, you got to listen to me about this Bin Laden dude. Yes. This is this guy's dangerous. Did you have any idea that he, that what he would do or just that he was going to do something? Just that he would do something. So the what our chairman had outlined was that he was uh, amassing weapons. Mm -hmm. And he was looking for these suitcase bombs and he was gathering troops, people, bodies, fighters. Wow. All right. So you, you set a date for this conference? Yes. It was January 7th, 1999. Never forget the day. <laughs> and so how many people are invited to this conference or how many people? Is it something you put like on a, you know, what is that on like Facebook? Like we're having an event. No, no, because it was the State Department. So okay. it had to be by guest list. Okay. So I think there was about 200 people there. 200 people? Including, you know, 50 government representatives of every branch of government. Anybody that we would know would have been there? Or do you don't want to say? No, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so. It was a long time ago. I yeah. mean, maybe back then it was and I didn't, I don't like remember. Rumsfeld wasn't there or... No, no, it was a, it was to, it was a low level thing at that point because it was just a way of us presenting an idea. There was a lot of staffers there who mm -hmm. may now be Congress people or people in other branches yep. of power, but at the time they were staffers. The staffers essentially write everything exactly, and so it was more important to have them there probably than the person themselves. Exactly, than the person themselves. And there so, was a lot of reporters. And so you put on this conference, and although you put it together, someone else. Yes, our chairman spoke. Okay, and what he delivered tell? all of the addresses. And what did they tell? What uh, did he tell them? What? Um, what did you tell them through him? What? Did, uh, <laughs> what I described is that Bin Laden was going to. It was a U.S. open forum that Bin Laden was about to attack the United States. And did you? <laughs> you just was, laid it out. We laid it out. 
We laid it you out. And it you was, talked about the suitcases. You talked about potential nuclear devices. Uh, recruiting of students. And the most famous line that came out of that is 80% of the mosques in America were influenced by extremists. That's what really pissed them off. Well, I'm going to get to that. So you lay out all this information. How long does it take to give them all that information? Is it an all-day thing? No, no, no. It was about an hour. About an hour. So after uh, this hour conference, you wrap it up. And did you get like standing ovation? Not a standing ovation. <laughs> I think most people in the room were shocked. <laughs> like, what are you telling us? Well, because basically what we said was that the recruitment and the threat was against the United States. So that the mm. recruitment was largely happening in the United States and in Western countries. And that that's the biggest problem is that it's going to happen in the United States. And so everyone's like, that's just, huge. yeah, everyone just thought we were nuts, just absolutely nuts. Yeah. I thought it was going to go over a lot better than it did. Uh, I, I don't remember the dates and you, and I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot. No, but, January 7, uh, Oh, but the bombing of the, of the embassy is 98, 98. Yes. Okay. So this is about six months after the bombing. Okay. Uh, when did the coal, the bombing of the, 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 SS Cole, is it the SS Cole? Cole, I believe, is 92. Okay. So, I mean, there was enough going on. Yeah, but nobody thought it was coordinated and it was going to be a large event and that it was going to happen in the United States. Had the first... Um, the first trade center had occurred. That's 94, I believe. What more did they need? Ramsey Yusuf, they thought it was just some dope with a truck full of explosives. Right. Right. All right. So what uh, what ends up happening after the conference? You guys uh, are hailed as like like oh you guys are fantastic. Thank oh you. Thank you for my the goodness! It was it was horrible. We were attacked by not only the U.S. government, uh, but we were attacked by the Muslim community. They issued um, a public. Uh, press statement by all the national Muslim organizations that we were officially boycotted. We couldn't shop in markets. We couldn't go to conferences. We had FBI protection. It was, it was a, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. So uh, the article comes out in the wall street journal. This is post nine 11. Oh, this is just, Oh sorry. yes. Sorry because it lays out what happened. They lay okay. out the story. They lay out the narrative. Okay. So everybody's, uh, you know, demon, not demonized, but yes, well, we, we were demonized. We were demonized. Yes. <laughs> it was horrible. And, uh, did anybody say no, Bin Laden's our friend. Did anybody go that far? No, because the fatwa, Bin Laden's fatwa came out in 98. Okay. Uh, all right. So then let's just, so all this happening and you're at some point, you know, uh, you're just saying some people we get some people's attention like we had the opportunity to meet Richard Clark who was the National Security Council okay. it was then Clinton so Bush so Bush doesn't come into the office we met with very high levels of people in um, the FBI one of whom is a dear friend of mine you spoke to on the phone yeah. the other day and so there were people in the national security apparatus that were listening to us and of course some of the foremost terrorism experts like Steve Emerson who runs the Emerson the investigative project was working back then um, he and I were good friends we did a lot of work together his staff and our staff uh, Daniel Pipes uh, and others, people that were in um, the conservative world that were looking at these things because they saw it. But did anything change? Did anybody go any further no. with this information that you had laid out and the information that has been gathered up leading up to 2000, 2001? Not at all. Nothing's happened. No, we were, we were basically called weirdos. All right. So then where were you on 9-11? I was in my home in a condo in DC watching TV 
at the breakfast table. And then you catch the news at what point? When the first plane went in, the second plane in? Uh, I was watching the, when the first plane hit. And then in that and, time, we, most a lot of people thought it was just like it was an accident. Yeah. Like I mean, it, it, yeah, it didn't feel like an accident to me, but definitely after the second plane hit, we knew it wasn't an accident. Yeah. The first plane I remember because I was on my way down the 91 freeway towards the police department. I had just left the gym um, and listening to Howard Stern. Howard Stern says, oh, it, it's, she, he was interviewing um, uh, Pam Anderson. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they thought, oh, a plane ran into the building. It, it, it might, they didn't know if it was like a piper or what it was. Right. Um, because um, everybody saw it after. And that seems like a very big hole for a little tiny plane. That's, most planes would have hit it and bounced off and slid down the side. Uh, and, and I think I arrived at the detective bureau and got in the office when the second plane hit. And then that's when we knew that it was, it, it, that's not a coincidence. Right. So when the second plane hit, what, what was your, what are some of the first thoughts that you had? I got to get out of the city. Cause you knew. Cause I knew. Did you know it was bin Laden or just, did you think it was just a terrorist? I mean, of course I didn't know it was bin Laden yeah. um, directly, but this is something that we had predicted was going to happen. We, we knew we had uh, firsthand information from president Moskodov that it was happening. I had interviewed hundreds of guys that were that suspected it would happen at some point in time. Um, they had fought in those wars overseas. They had friends that were there that it was inevitable. And so once that happened, I knew I had to get out of the city. And so I just, I got my go bag. I always had a go bag mm -hmm. and I drove 13 hours to Michigan to get out of the city. Did you stay on the radio or listening to the news? Yes, absolutely. And I actually took my, I was wearing a head cover and I took my head cover off because I was afraid I'd get attacked mm -hmm. in stores along the way while I stopped for gas. But um, I packed food and I didn't stop except for gas once. I'm sorry, this is just an interesting side note. Do you have to pray to your God? As a that, Muslim, that say, old, I gotta, not my God, yeah, my just, old God. He's <laughs> definitely the guy who said, listen, I got to take this head cover off. Yes, I, mean, I was very. Know? Yeah, absolutely. But it's in times of difficulty that you are allowed. You have an exemption. Wow. Yeah. It was All right. Intense. You have to get on your knees and face east or west or no. direction or anything like that? <laughs> no, but you, right. don't ever know. you never know if he's ever listening anyway. So yeah. it's just wing it. So as you're driving, I'm sure then you're hearing that the plane crashed into the uh, Pentagon. Yes. And then Shanksville. Yes. And then are you thinking, when's this going to... Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, we were just we were just convinced that this is the apocalypse. Oh, was somebody like, in the car with you? No, but uh, I mean, at some I don't remember what the timing of all of mm -hmm. it, but at some point point I arrive into Michigan, mm -hmm. and so we're stocking up food. <laughs> oh, I never forget it because the, some of the guys went. It was a three hundred acre ranch that our community had, and and one of the guys went to go fill up all the propane tanks. We thought we'd be locked down in our in our place because the people would come after us for weeks months we had no idea and so they went uh, and got tried to fill 11 propane tanks at the gas station so they called the atf mm -hmm. so because i was the point of contact for the community i got the sheriff calling atf calling who's getting these propane tanks what is going on they were right. filling water bar barrels it was it was crazy wow but people hundreds of people came from all over the country to stay at the farm People just like uh, knew where to go. Yes. Yeah, this is where we go. This is where we go. It was not like a woo woo or a light or anything like that. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> phone calls. <laughs> phone calls. But uh, cell phones weren't working, right? So oh, yeah. it took a while yeah. until you can make a phone call. Wow. Um, all right. So you guys are going there. Uh, I have a friend of mine who uh, used to work for LAPD at the time. 
uh, he had already, I think, gotten into some accident or something happened. He had retired and he was doing security and he was doing security, uh, high level security and um, was doing security. He's dead. He's passed away now. So I can tell the story. But he was he uh, was the security guard for the Bin Laden family who were living in New York, not you know, he, they have a huge family, right? I mean, these people have like 300 people in their family <laughs> and uh, the, the Bin Laden family, was they got out and yeah. they got on a plane and left. Did, was there any consideration for your group and you to feel like we got to get out of this country? We have to go to Canada or we have to go anywhere like that. Or you thought that you were pretty safe? No, we thought, we thought we were safe for where we were. Okay. You know, the FBI, everybody else, national security <laughs> council, everybody else knew where we were. So we thought we were safer well, in Michigan. So how long did you have to stay locked down in this compound? It, it was for as long as I remember. It was weeks. It was. Wow. It felt like forever. With hundreds of people. Yes. Did you know these people? Some of them. Yeah. <laughs> My daughter will tell you stories about the farm. We have just, stories about the farm. Yeah. Just, just knowing you, did you have to cook for any of I usually did not have cooking duty. <laughs> I was not given the cooking duty. I was the one on the phone. Yes. Uh, I was all, the, you tried to tell him about Bin Laden. You said, look, at I tried to tell him. Yeah. I mean, our phone rang off the hook. I mean, there was dozens of media interviews. Every major paper, Sacramento Bee, Los Angeles Times, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. Is it because every, of the 99? The 99 address. It all, it all, they go, oh. It was all know. documented. Everything yeah. was documented. You had told them. We had told them. You had put it together. But somebody else said, no. yes, but it was um, so I was the secretary general of Islamic Supreme Council at the time. And so everybody knew that I had hosted it. And so it was all over the news. The conference was documented. Mm -hmm. Their boycott of us was documented. And then afterwards, once he struck, they documented that, too. Let me just go back a little bit. Uh, at what point did you realize it actually was Bin Laden? Where where were you in this? Harrowing story. <laughs> Still in Michigan, I presume. Okay. Still in Michigan. Ah, oh yes, because we got a number of phone calls from Mus Muscadoff at the time. Hmm. So I just I'm going to skip way ahead to now because just recently there's been I think it's the the current leader of the I don't know what they're calling it now the Emirate Afghanistan of uh, Islamic Emirates of, of Afghanistan. <laughs> um, I think one of them, one of the leaders, uh, suppose the leaders in there said that it wasn't Bin Laden who. Who planned 9-11? Who was what? it? I don't know. I'm just saying, I'm just, so are you- Oh, maybe they're going back to that conspiracy theory yeah. that it was the United States that planned it. I don't know. It's the, it's the Muslims over there in Afghanistan. Yeah, well, they, they, they say it was the Jews. The Al-Qaeda is saying it. Yeah, no, most of the Muslims say it was the okay. Jews. So there's there's no possible way, right, that it was anybody other than Bin Laden. I mean, not from what I know from a Western context or a Muslim context. No. Okay. I just want. I mean, I, and we we may have audience members who think the whole thing was staged too. Yeah. So I, you know, I, yeah. no, folks, I don't, I don't believe that for a second. Okay. I mean, someone and one person. <laughs> I remember recently somebody. Oh, the guy who he was working out with for a while is like, I heard that the place that the Pentagon supposedly hit was the place with all the records from it, and I was like. Uh, no, those records, those investigations still went forward into the corruption and everything else. And it just, I don't know, just to me, there's some of the stories are kind of loopy. Says, I, I didn't know he said that. I would have said, you, you mean to tell me a guy that only knows how to take off. They, they didn't teach him how to land. <laughs> Knew how to fly to into the file cabinet. <laughs> the file cabinet. That's, that's inside of a building. Exactly. <laughs> exactly where to fly. Okay, buddy. Yeah, and those of us who drove to the Pentagon many, many times after that saw, because some people say they staged it. They mm. staged the wreckage. 
that the Pentagon was perfectly intact after. And right. I was like, well, you didn't drive there every day because yeah. it was not intact. Right. All right. So um, it's coming out that you had put on this conference. Is there anything you want to show the document? This is, a, again, it was in the Wall Street Journal, but we have a, a another version of it um, that shows here. Uh, is there any particular price? I know it's hard for people to see, if, especially if you're watching on your phone. But well, I think it's like I think the the parts where it says um, so he was you know Sufi community that in back in January 1999 when we thought the terrorists had given the twin towers their best shot. Uh, Sheikh Amani went to the State Department to deliver an address, Islamic extremism, a viable threat to U.S. national security. And so how was he uh, rewarded for his courage? Well, a group of organizations denounced him, ranging from CARE, Council on Islamic Relations, ICNA, AMC, and issued a statement twisting his words and portraying him as feeding Islamophobia rather than fighting it. Um the Sheikh emphasized on the Today Show last week how important it was to cooperate with authorities to help them get the men who had so monstrously attacked the Islamic faith. The difficulty he tells us is that our voices had trouble being heard because the extremists had hijacked the mic. In the aftermath of the worst attack on our home soil in American history, we might do well to heed a leader who did his best to warn us before. Wow. me the chills. I don't know. It seems so much of what is, we're going through now that you, we, there's the truth Ugh. and it's being lambasted as the lie. I'm not talking about the election. I'm talking about every, I mean, the, the issues with the pandemic, the issues with a whole bunch of stuff that conservatives are terrorists that, you know, yeah. it's very similar that you, uh, this, this that was happening to you then is there, it's happening again. Well, I've told you many times when I watch what's happening now, the DHS um, security alert about who is the greatest domestic terror threat right now, those who are avoiding COVID measures. And I said the hardest part for me is I told you we met the guy who was building internment camps like Muslims were afraid for a very long time that they were the ones getting stuck in the internment camps. The programs, the counterterrorism programs that I helped build, I literally spent, you know, 15 years of my life and blood, sweat and tears to build those programs are now being turned against the community that I love and am a part of. And it's just it's deeply distressing because it's. There was a movie once I remember uh, Wag the Tail or uh, the Tail of the Dog or Wag. Uh, the and it's the wags the dog or something. Yeah, the and it's about the it's about this euphemism that it's you know. The dog. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just it's so unfortunate that things. I don't know that things in our government can be turned around on a dime uh, and pointed at uh, the wrong people. Wag the dog. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you, Amy. Amy always has the answer. Doesn't she? She's like a, just a wealth of knowledge. I know. But the funny thing is, is Amy said she didn't know the U.S. was supporting bin Laden. Yes, we actually <laughs> you, created bin Laden, Amy, because again, we had no, we have no appreciation for the impact of religion. If you read what the Wahhabi is, Islamic extremists believed and what they were plotting, you could never think those people were your allies. But the problem is because we, American policymakers don't have enough of God in their heart to understand how significant it is for everybody else. Mm. It's something that even um, Mike Pompeo talks about a lot now that he's out of government is that we can't ever make peace with radical Islamists because their goal is to subdue or destroy us. Right. 
Yeah. So uh, you're in the compound, the story's coming out, and um, is it now safe to come out? Do they say, yes. oh, oh, you know what? We knew this all along. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what no, no, there was a mad scramble. There, mm-hmm. I spent weeks going back and forth to New York. I'm kind of uh, a big deal at this point yeah, now because you're a big deal. You, now I'm a big deal. <laughs> now I'm a big deal. Now I'm like, whoa, that, that chick knew something. Before you were a conspiracy theorist. I was an uh, alarmist crazy lady <laughs> with a head cover, young, you know, like what a nutcase she is. And now I was kind of prophetic, you know? Uh, I was the big cheese then. Uh, now, now, they're, now they're scrambling to, yes. to, to support you and to be. Yes. And I, and so by. January, you know, Bush wins the election. And I was telling Andy today, I know people are very upset at him and his approach towards President Trump. But it was I mean, those years when Bush first came into power, it was such an honor to be around him and his cabinet and Vice President Cheney, who I had the honor of meeting several times, too. And uh, Don Rumsfeld, Wolfowitz, Doug Fife. I mean, they just they were they were big thinkers and they really, they really believed with and were passionate about what we were trying to do. Of course, it all went terribly wrong, but um, the goal ultimately, you heard Condi Rice the other day on um, Ben Shapiro that there really was a plan, but America didn't have the stomach for the plan. Mm-hmm. So would you say that Bush's administration put together a, a very good plan to start? Yes. And if it was, if we just would have stuck to that plan, yes, things. Could if have we been. had the stomach to build nations, if right. we had um, the will of the American people to stick with it and to do it right. But again, I, I mentioned there was such insidious corruption in our government mm-hmm. as well with our contractors in the military-industrial complex that that also led to our failure. It's not just the American people got tired of the war, but that our industrial complex was corrupt mm. and the money was squandered and we didn't accomplish what we were supposed to accomplish. What do you think it is about our the lack of stomach that, I don't know if, I, I think the people want to go, want to, after 9-11, want to go and say, I don't care if you bomb the hell out of, who you bomb the hell out of. Right. You know, bomb the hell out of that country. And we did shock and awe. You know, Remember just, shock and awe, folks? Yeah, just, just lay them out. It's too bad that you live in this area, but you're you're going to die. Up. Yeah, um, and I mean that's how that's one of the best ways to win a war, right? Um, what it was the aftermath that we didn't have the stomach for. Mm. Okay, and and there was a bunch of mistakes. Uh, Brenner uh, for Iraq. Uh, Brenner fired all three hundred thousand Sunnis. So basically, he had the brilliant idea that everybody who worked for Saddam Hussein was a Baathist and therefore needed to be destroyed. And the Shiites were going to help out. And the Shiites, he didn't think would ever align with Iran. Again, not understanding religion, that the Shiites of Iraq would align with Iran because they're Shiites and they're fighting the Sunnis for world domination. So if you don't respect that, I don't care if you like it, but you got to respect what people tell you they believe. Uh, and that we created the the we created ISIS because a bunch of Sunnis were unemployed and had lots of armory that we had left so there. Just get, I'm so sorry. Just to go back to um, Saddam Hussein, you know, I was one of the few people that I, that I think that I spoke up at the time, which I felt really odd because I really wasn't that much into politics until all this happened at 9-11. Um, and I thought, I don't know if that's a good idea, getting rid of that guy. Because it seemed to me that his brutality kept the kind of a lid on brutal people. Yes, that's just what that that area of the world needs. Right. Um, 
do you think one of the biggest mistakes uh, that was made is that they we allowed them to hang Saddam Hussein? Um, I mean, looking back, you could say that, like if we would have left it as it was. But the way the theory went was kids were getting radicalized. Islamic terrorism was taking root in the Muslim world because they had no freedom and they had no opportunities that we were going to turn Iraq into Germany. Post World War II Germany, we had a Marshall Plan or like Japan, we were going to turn it into a democratic nation. That's what I'm saying. We didn't have the stomach for. Yeah. We went in, we created bases, we had control of oil fields, and then we just were like, "Oh, this sucks," and we left. And we left all of our equipment, just like we did in Afghanistan. Yeah. And then the ISIS was running around with our RPGs and machine guns and flip flops. Yeah. Well, the, the difference between and again, I'm just using your analogy. I'm not sure uh, how how deep it is, but you know, in regard to Germany. Germany was already making cars like the Volkswagen, the BMW, and that kind of stuff, and that other uh, industry in Germany. But it, what would Iraq? I mean, Iraq had oil. Oil. But uh, what else? You don't need anything more than that. Really? It was a cradle of civilization. Mm. Iraq's biblical. You know what I mean? That yeah. con- it's been around for thousands of years I mean, but before could you Advent. Modernize it? Could you make it just on the fact that they have oil? Would it be the United States? No. Right. But you could have stabilized it enough. Kind of like what we were doing with Afghanistan exactly. until Hitler got in there and pulled out. The, exactly. And Obama started, Obama started it mm-hmm. by pulling out of Iraq. You know, we had yeah. the surge. It was successful. And then it was like, OK, mission accomplished. Get out. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, the endless wars, are they, you know, I understand, you know, Trump's philosophy was that we shouldn't have been in any of these countries at all. Uh, bomb the hell and leave. I um, believe he was changing his mind. I think they were they were convincing him that, no, we need to keep 2,500 people, a uh, military in there. I people. mean, we had a, the what, the $25 billion dollar Bagram air base yeah. that we had built that was a strategic location yeah. to three enemy powers. I mean, just like we do in Korea and just like we do in Japan exactly. and Germany, you keep a, a number of uh, uh, military in there just to keep a lid on stuff. Exactly. And every so often you just take somebody out. Exactly. Say, All right, you're getting out of line. <laughs> Exactly. All right, let's go back. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to go off on a little trail there. Uh, and so now you're the cat's meow. I'm the cat's in, meow. Uh, in Washington. <laughs> yes. Did you hold any resentment? I mean, I would because that's who I am. Did you have any resentment? I, I tried to tell you this happened because you didn't listen to us. Was there any of that? Did you want to go in there and say, I tried to tell you or I told you so? Did you do any of that? I mean, a little, a, a little, but it, yeah. was, it was not useful. Mm. And by then the administration had changed. All the players were different. Yeah, that's a problem with our government in, in some that every ways four that years the people change. Four to eight years it changes. And then they recycle them again. Yeah. <laughs> the recycling part is <laughs> recycling is the Oh no. <laughs> it's just like Groundhog Day. I mean, every four or five, eight years, mm-hmm. it's like you're literally watching a movie from before. I mean, Biden's administration is filled with Obama people. Right. And I'm like we destroyed the same, same people, just they're older. We destroyed the now. Middle East under Obama. It was right. just horrible. And after we messed up in the whole experiment in Iraq, we took out Gaddafi and Mm. Gaddafi had made peace with the United States and had no interest in fighting the United States and hated the terrorists. But we took him out. Right. That was a disaster. That was another one that I. That That was that was that was a disaster. Like we should have learned our lesson. Yeah. We should never have taken out. Right. um, Gaddafi. I had actually met Gaddafi. I went to Mm. his uh, Garanimal camp in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Did he tried to marry you as one of his wives? No, but it was yeah. so ridiculous. It was like 110 degrees and he made us sit outside and there were camels going poop in the background. Yeah. It was like really something out of a 
like a funny movie. It really was. It's <laughs> so funny to hear you tell these stories. And then you and I are at a, a high school football game. Yes. Bench, go, this is a woman that sat in with Gaddafi. Yeah. Camel's poop. <laughs> it's really, it's so, it's so, the Lord is good. Yeah. <laughs> The Lord is good. All right. You say so. He is. Um, and I, and it was like this Friday night lights football game. I, I felt like I was in a movie. I was, it was surreal for me. It really was. Doing all this other stuff was real. Sitting in the stands. It was like living in a movie. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you're going around and you have all these programs you're putting together. You're working with the FBI. Everybody's thinking of you and you're no longer crazy woman. You're now a very smart woman. Yes. And, um, uh, you, I want you to tell a story if you don't mind that, that suddenly they get hold of you and say, we need you to fly somewhere and meet with a man and, uh, and talk to him. Yeah. Uh, can you tell that, that story? Yeah. So we, and this um, is when this is after nine 11. About a year, six months? Within six months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It was within six months. And um, we get on a plane. They tell us, go to New York, give us an address. The FBI that sent you? Or the uh, National Security Council. National, okay. And um, we... Who's we? Uh, Sorry, the chairman. The chairman of the Islamic Supreme Council. It's just he and I. Okay. And Oh, my brother. My brother's there, too. And we get this address and we go to this address. Uh, we take a cab and I was describing it to Andy is that when we get up the elevator and you see like, you know, you go to the dentist's office or whatever, and it says suite 201, so-and-so's office. So this only had a number, but when you open, when you, when you got buzzed in from that door, it was actually a fake front door. It led to a hallway and it was the hallway. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but maybe like 20 feet long. And it had uh, two-way mirrors on one side where the, I presume they could shoot whoever was stuck in this hallway. Uh, and then there was a steel door, uh, a reinforced door that was the actual door to the office. And that was about, you know, 20 feet down. Then you got buzzed in that door. And when you went inside, all you saw it was very austere, but it was very nice. Uh, you saw a picture of the, some man, which we presumed was somebody we were meeting or was associated with somebody we were meeting. And presidents and prime ministers and famous people and heads of business. And we're just like, wow, this guy must be really important. Then when you get into his office, there's pictures of stadiums, like very large buildings. And he had little model like structures. Shea Stadium. Exactly. Yeah. And then he had these models of look like stadiums, but they didn't have like little people or anything. Yeah. They didn't have grass. They didn't have AstroTurf in them. Right. They were just giant structures. <laughs> And so at any point, did you think that they're sending us to be executed? I mean, there's any, did you ever get I mean, like, where are they sending us? When it's the, it's Richard Clark for the national security council. You figure you're pretty safe. Really? I mean, you know, you're, we were the cats. Muslims. We were the cats meow you, by this you're point. You're dressed in all your garb. Oh yes. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it was sketch. It yeah. was totally <laughs> sus for sure. Okay. And we go in there and he goes, tell me your story. And so. This man. How old is he? 60 ish. Uh, okay. Yeah. Very serious, very scary face, like very intense, like very intense what eyes. What did he look like? Do you think? I just want to have the whole picture. <sighs> yeah. I, uh, a little bit like Clint Eastwood. Oh, really? Yes. Daunting, tall, yeah. not as good looking, you know, not yeah. as strapping, but, but that kind of serious, like, yes. rugged. Did you have like a piece of grass in his suit? No, he was far, <laughs> far too high, high, uh, high end. Suit? He had a suit. Oh. Yeah. Very sharp, crisp lines. Suit. Yeah. 
All right. behind this big desk, All right. I you know, very you. fancy furniture in the office, you know, and yeah. nothing but like these fancy pictures of him with like very important people and these yeah. mock stadiums, these mock structures. Mm-hmm. And you understand the significance of the mock structures because by the end of our presentation, he didn't say more than two words. He jotted a couple things down on, his, on a piece of paper. And then he basically just said to us, I hope you do not think what you need to understand is the U.S. won't tolerate this. And um, at some point, they will take action and the Muslim community will be the one that suffers. So if you were smart, you understood based on the structures in this man's office that he was somehow involved in building camps, internment camps. Uh, yeah, it was it was, <laughs> it was wild. never heard from him again. And to this day, I don't know who he was. Wow. What the heck's going on in our. Country? Yeah, there's all kinds of. This is real like, stuff. Absolutely real. Absolutely real. Any other people besides him? Was there like no. a secretary? No. There's n- what? The There's doors no are people. Click. Like Maxwell Smart. Like that. Just a- <laughs> yeah. And then, and, and so when we walk out, so when we get in, you know, because we're in this uh, fake hallway, the door swings open. Yeah. And then when we leave, when he tells us to leave, the door swings shut behind us. And you hear, I mean, it's like a reinforced steel door. So it goes like, like, yeah, like a, like a vault. And you're stuck in the hallway thinking to yourself, oh my God, is he going to let us out of the hallway? You know? <laughs> and so he just says, tell us your story. You tell the story. Yes. Of what, what did you tell him? Uh, he wanted to hear about the State Department. Where did our information come from? Where's all of our other research from? What kind of evidence do we have? Um, how bad do we think the problem is in the United States? And um, and then he dismissed us. You think this is the guy? Like that, kids. This is the guy who actually runs the United States of America? He's definitely, if there were 10 men in a room somewhere, he's definitely one of them if he's not hosting the meeting himself. So, yeah, it was yeah, so he'd be, wild. He'd, he'd be about 80 now, so he'd still be younger than yes. the, the crotchety old geezer that we have in there right now. Um, but the point is, folks, that I think what what worries me the most. Uh, and so by the time when we were wargaming towards the end of my career, most of my presentations, which I still have with me, that I would give to the Joint Terrorism Task Force, is my biggest fear was a civil war and that this apparatus would turn against Americans. And that's what grieves me the most is that that's what I see happening. So this man may be dead now, but he built camps that he thought he was going to stick brown people in. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder how he would feel about it if he knew they were to be used for Christians. Conservative Christians. Conservative Christians. All right. Let me get to a couple of these questions that people have. Priscilla ask, um, what do you think about what is happening here in America and now how weak we are? Are they watching and waiting for uh, to attack us again? Do you think another 9-11 is coming? It's interesting, Priscilla, because now, of course, I have uh, the Holy Spirit that tells me, like, you know, gives me different wisdom and, and the scholars, the biblical scholars that we listen to. And one in particular, Amir Tasfari, was saying that, you know, the rise of the Antichrist is not a Muslim. And so, but until that point, And the reason is because the world will not unite behind a Muslim. Let's just face it. That's never going to happen. But up until that point, what will um, what will happen? So when um, we had the failure in Iraq and we saw the rise of ISIS, that's 
another time in, in my career where the phone just didn't stop ringing. Like it was, it was really crazy. Cause we were watching, we're like, what in the, like I was watching some 22 year old kid in Kansas, like, hi, Bismillah Rahman Rahim. I'm you know, and I was like, what is happening? You know, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of American teenagers went over to fight for Syria, a country they'd never seen before. And I was like, what in the world would motivate them to want to do that? So my biggest fear is what, um, what does um, Islamic terrorism 3.0 look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, and does it, does it happen here in the United States? Why would they need to when you think about it? Honestly, I'm not so concerned about it because I think to myself, why would they need to? They have yeah. a guy in the White House that is super supportive of them. He's empowering the Taliban with, with you know, $20 billion of, of equipment. Why attack the United States? My only answer to that question is that the Democrat Party who's in power, the, the socialists or the liberals, however you want to call them, um, really are able to control much of America through fear. For sure. And so I think many of the, the whatever the thousands of Afghanis that they brought here unvetted. Oh, um, yeah, that's going to uh, cause us I'm, a problem. I'm concerned as to how many of them are actually Taliban terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm telling people, please share the gospel, folks, because you can change a heart. The most vile of people can be transformed. It'll never hurt them if we are in fear. It only only emboldens them and strengthens uh, them. And there's no reason to think that. I mean, they don't know they're not the leader of the enterprise. They don't know that they're not going to win in the end. So uh, would they would they bother to try? Because I know the extremists that are in the United States that have engaged in the cultural jihad for decades really believe, especially now with two Muslim Congress people, mm-hmm. that they could subdue the United States into a Muslim nation. And why not do it when um, the president is weak? So definitely yeah. a possibility. I think they have a fight on their hands. I mean, you look at some of the news uh, today when you have Biden going into New York and Pennsylvania and um, where else did he go? He went somewhere else. Uh, oh, near the Pentagon. Um, and no one shows up. Really, right. You got Trump who goes to New York and he takes a, a picture with hundreds of, of That's just officer. a single picture, right? right? Yeah. It's just like, and anywhere he goes, there's just thousands of people that wait in line in the rain and the, in the, in the heat to see him that, uh, you know, it, there's going to, we may have our a civil war here before Afghanistan has a civil war. Exactly. Um, That's my biggest fear. Yeah. So Amy asks, uh, Hedy, when those in power are given fair warning, why, in your opinion, do they turn a blind eye? A, a couple of reasons, one of which I stated is uh, they just don't believe religion. They think a guy, uh, guys in, a, in flip-flops and towels on their head are not going to pose any kind of threat to us. Mm. Like, who cares? That's just dumb. We're America. We've got the greatest military on the planet. Um, we'll crush them like a bug. Well, look who's laughing now. Right. Because they did not crush us like a bug. I mean, they crushed us like a bug. We didn't crush them like a bug. You know what I mean? They just, they have time on their hands, you know? Um, So I think that we just are constantly underestimating them. And it's our arrogance. It's our corruption. It's our lack of moral fortitude and vision that leads us to constantly um, underestimate them. And especially from people like us, we were too small and insignificant for them to take any notice of anything that we had to say. Right. Oh, we have so many weaknesses um, with the uh, the addition of wokeness and and yes. the, the stuff that just causes us to not act because we think we're going to upset somebody. I oh, yeah. We're just so weak. Just so weak. 
Uh, Betsy has a question. Uh, says uh, that her question is: Do you think Bush Jr. knew anything before 9/11? I've read he played a role. So here's an interesting thing: is that I think it's the same thing with did we create ISIS? It, when you say new, the question is, what did we know? Do, were people training, uh, were brown people <laughs> training to fly helico- uh, airplanes across this country? Yes. Hmm. Uh, was that odd? Did people report it as odd? Yes. Were there, uh, was there a tremendous amount of recruiting on college campuses of Muslims to go fight overseas? Yes. Uh, did Was Bush Jr., similar to my friend, involved in um, equipping and uh, bin Laden before the announcement of Al-Qaeda, the, equipping the Mujahideen against the Soviets. Yes, mm. but that was a announced acceptable American policy. I told Andy, one of my greatest private funders was one of the chief funders of Charlie Wilson's war, funding the Mujahideens. He funded my work because he was upset at having taken part in, in the rise of the Mujahideen. Mm. Uh, and so there was this uh, certain amount of regret in it. And so, yeah, I mean, there's certain crocs of steels with us. Yes, uh, <laughs> so there is a certain amount of inherent knowledge. Um, but did they allow it to um, lead to an attack on the United States? I can't believe that. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that good hearted people, Americans that love this country would do that on purpose. You know, you already talked a little bit about uh, President George W. Um, when you were with him and talked to him, you, you I mean, we're pretty good at gauging people and, no, and, and, he's and awesome. getting a feel for who they are. Uh, one of my questions when I uh, got to, when I started going to uh, Calvary Chapel, Chuna Hills with Pastor Jack, I got a good feeling. But I also wanted to confirm. I went to somebody that I know that knows him really well and says, hey, is this guy for real? For real. Is this him? Or is he acting now and then is a major pain in the ass when he's not on camera? And he said, no, what you see? is who he is always. That's, he never changed. That's the way W was. And so that was my question. Extremely sincere, extremely passionate, always asked intelligent questions, really from all intensive purposes as an outsider, look like he believed. And I, and I had lots of friends at that time mm-hmm. because I was, I was an appointee of President Bush uh, that worked for him, that were on staff at the National Security Council and for the vice president. And they he believed what he preached. He believed what he was doing and was tremendously sincere. Juxtapose that. I met with Obama. I had a chance to have an hour long conversation with him. Yeah. And he quite frankly was a putz. I mean, and and I wasn't the only one that thought that the other five people in the room with me, there was only five of us. And we're talking to him about what we thought was the greatest threat to national security. And he was like, lounged in a chair uh, and just looked at us and said, I don't get religion, mm. but I'm not going to let people drag me into a war over it. And I was like, so that's what you got out of this whole conversation like this. I was like, it was mind numbing. It was mind numbing. Yeah. Very different. We were in a meeting with uh, the Clintons, any of the Clintons? Yes. With um, Hillary mm-hmm. and um, did you feel the d- demonic spirit right away when she walked in the room? Did, I don't think I when did. When she walked, did it make noise when her I didn't. I mean, she was intense. She was definitely right. intense. She was definitely intense. Uh, Clinton was extremely personable. Uh, Mr. Clinton, Bill yeah. was extremely personable. Um, didn't, but he wasn't, I don't know. He wasn't a statesman like I thought W was, but then again, I've always been conservative. So I've yeah. always had an affinity for the Republicans. Um, 
Let's see, Crocs is still. We're glad to have you from Twitch. Uh, one of our favorites uh, that join us uh, here uh, on Twitch. <laughs> I hope you count. I'm your Tesfari today on that uh, show we told you to watch. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to ask about the uh, background, how you met the president. You were working, right? Yes. You, you missed the beginning part. So. Yeah, the beginning part, I laid that kind of out. I was um, a counterterrorism expert. I was a federal contractor for the U.S. government. Amy says uh, she's glad to hear that George W. is sincere. Yeah, I know people don't like him now, Amy, but I, I mean, I loved him. He was one of the greatest presidents to work for. It was really, truly an honor. The only time I did not vote Republican and I didn't vote Democrat. I just didn't vote for a president was the second term. It was W. Yeah, I know. I feel bad now. Oh, I feel guilty. <laughs> Look what we got in his place. Um, so one thing I want to end on. Uh, well, there's a couple other questions, but I'm afraid that we, I just don't want to go. We're already at an hour. Um, uh, one thing I do want to end on is that, you know, everybody hearing your, uh, wait, can I answer his question? Yeah. Did you meet? Uh, yes. I actually had a private meeting, just me and, uh, this other gentleman, um, with Cheney and two of his staff members, that meeting was an hour and a half. And so he's extremely intelligent, asks extremely relevant questions, very thoughtful, very serious, uh, a statesman. Like you definitely felt a presence when he was in the room. Mm. Did you feel that he was profiting from the war at all? Did he? I mean, obviously he did, right? Yeah. He's part of the military industrial complex. So yeah. he wanted the oil. And, but I mean, I, I wanted I the oil. Personally profiting. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, Halliburton and all those yeah. companies, he had shares and his family had shares. But uh, when everyone said that, we just went in there for oil. I'm an American. So let's go there and get oil. Yeah. What's wrong with getting oil? Yeah, Trump it was, it had the right idea. Yeah. I mean, Why oil not? independence. We're putting this much time. Uh, blood, uh, our our soldiers that have that, that died. Um, th that's the least we should get out. Of yeah, this, right. What's wrong with that? We didn't no, take I'm the sorry. country; could have took it and made it our, you know, one of one of a our, colony. Yeah, colony. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the colony. states of Iraq. Yeah, <laughs> like Puerto Rico. Yes. Okay, so I want to get to my final question, and so we've laid out your history as uh, you know in Islam, and. Um, I mean, you studied it and you knew, I mean, you rose to the top. I mean, as, as, as high as you could get, you were teaching presidents and, 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 and crowds of people. And again, you tried to warn them of what was going on. Um, then what happens? How do you go from Muslim? It's a, this is your testimony um, and you can give as long of an answer as you want. But how is that possible that you're that engrossed? You're living in a compound. You, I mean, you'd even gone to Mecca, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and you even, you know. 37 Muslim countries. 37 you know, Muslim countries. My entire social network. Everything was Muslim. Were you not really Muslim? <laughs> That's funny. Some people <laughs> accuse me of that, that I was actually a spy the whole time, which really makes me giggle because I think that that's really, uh, that's really funny. Uh, but, but so no, you were in the faith. I mean, you when you when you came to taking off your head cover cover uh, when you're fleeing from Washington because of 9/11, you you really did stop the. In, in oh yeah, I put it on as soon as I arrived in the in the driveway. And this is all nobody's around. Nobody's right? around. So this is, I mean, that's the total, that's the real, the real test. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, I, I was, I lived by myself with my daughter for most of my life. I could have taken it off anytime. I could have go, gone and hang out in a bar. I actually had friends who did that, yeah. who would take their head covers off and go shoot pool. So that deep in the faith, what happens? I mean, nobody, you would normally see somebody that faithful die a Muslim. Well, see, that's the thing is that well, that's why when people say you were a spy the whole time, maybe I was the Lord's spy the whole time because oh, the, wow. 
because the switch flipped. I mean, I don't know. Would, what would Apostle Paul say? Would he say he was a Christian the whole time and that he was sent to persecute the, uh, the Christians and then turn? I mean, the Lord's transformation happens and it can happen in a blink of an eye. Wow. You know, yeah. uh, but when I look back, he he gave me all of this information and this, I don't know, this just wealth of knowledge and experience. And then it flipped on a dime. So, I mean, he's obviously been with me the whole time. There was obviously, I was, those he foreknew, he predestined, who he predestined, he chose, and who he chose, he, um, uh, I forgot the last one, and then he glorifies them, justifies, mm-hmm. and the, who he justifies, he glorifies. So, he foreknew it, that I was going to come, but I had to, I had to walk that road. And as soon as I took my head cover off, I was at the FBI, I was... Um, just tired of wearing it. I was tired of every JTTF I walked After into. All that all came to wearing that head cover. That was literally the thing that, that did it. Literally, I just thought. <laughs> I just thought to myself, I'm just tired of wearing this thing. I mean, I would. It walk wasn't in- the the relationship with the extremist. Uh, not relationship, but you know, being associated with extremists. It wasn't none of that. It was the head cover. Wow, I'm just tired of wearing it. <laughs> Uh, I was just, you know, it was just, it was exhausting. It was exhausting. And I was, and I was tired of being identified. I felt I was at an age where I was tired of being identified by a piece of fabric. Mm. And I was doing really important work at the bureau. I I mean, I was traveling to very bizarre, I mean, like very average middle Midwest, you know, us cities to interview terrorists. And the first thing that would happen when I walked in the room is that everybody would like, like hold their breath, you know, like, what is she doing here? What does she do? You know? Um, I just got tired of it. And as soon as I took the head cover off, the religion unraveled. Wow. Yeah. It was just, it was. Unraveled. It just was not true. Well, people told me I was going to hang from my hair for an eternity in hellfire. Yeah. And I said, how am I worshiping a God that was going to hang me from my hair for taking a piece of fabric off? And everything that I did was worthless. So you go from a God that was punishing and hateful to a loving God. Exactly. And how did that make you feel? I mean, that's just, it's transformative right it's just you suddenly you've arrived i mean when i met the lord jesus christ it was and people say like how did you learn so much about the bible so fast and it was again for the lord there is no time Mm. so when i started to read the bible and listen again i i do have you know pretty good marbles up there i i I could put pieces of things together even though they said Um, you were were crazy even though they said i was crazy uh but i was an evil genius and (laughs) he just downloaded it he just it just it just downloaded the bible into my heart because i'd read so much scripture in islam and i knew so much about the stories that when i was confronted with the truth of the bible it just it blossomed Mm. you're in the light yeah it's just in the light from darkness to light uh Okay, Crocs is still. So while you were talking, Crocs is still had asked, um, and I was listening, by the way. Oh, I'm sure, mul- no I problem. Multitask. Sorry, it's uh, it, uh, sorry, it's not on Twitch, but the, he was talking about the information. Can I get a link to your website or blog or any written work? Very interesting. So I put in the Resurrect Ministry uh, link. Awesome. So anybody else that wants to know more about Hedia and her ministry, go to Resurrect uh, Energy. Resurrect Ministry. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, resurrectministry.com. It's not .org, right? It's .com? .com. Yeah. Um, and uh, and, check and it out Amy there. asked if I ever met Biden, and I actually haven't. 
He's one of the. Oh yeah, you never I, saw him in the White House running around. Nope. Was he already in the basement? You think? Did I they, think so. Did they already keep hiding him. Yeah, he we never. never made, he never made a wise decision. No, and we and never that, saw him. We, we and all the counterterrorism meetings that we had, and then we had a White House conference and stuff. He was never there. Why would you? Why yeah. Would you have him there. You can see what kind of. I, I don't think he bothered. He yeah. Like they, everybody just laughs. Like you know, you ever been you know, with a group of people and everybody's like talking intelligently, and the one guy said, "Hey, uh, let's go have peanut butter." Like you go. <laughs> What? Like, where'd that guy come from? Biden, go sit in the corner. We, we, we don't want to hear you. Stay out of this. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Uh, um, uh, and again, Crocs, I said, that's why I love having Crocs of Steel on from Twitch. He says, again, not a, a Christian, but this is uh, very interesting stuff. I'm thank glad you. That, that's why we do this, is that I think we can reach some people like that. Uh, and also, if you go to the andyfalcoshow.com, uh, Crocs is still more of our videos are in that YouTube Yeah, channel. some of the old stuff. The, the yeah. first interview that Andy did of me uh, almost a year ago, um, you can – I tell more of my story, my personal story. Uh, Amy's saying that Biden was outside looking for the ice cream truck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, inevitably, probably, because I don't know how many times I spent a lot of time in the Obama White House because I was at the FBI and we had constant meetings about um, our programs. And even before that, I was like, I was considered a White House darling for my program because I had one of the only evidence-based counterterrorism programs in the country. I did have the first. Uh, so I was there all the time and I, I never saw him. When you walk in with your head covering and looking looking Muslim, uh, did walking in towards wherever their security is, did they just wave you in, or did they always have to like check your shoes? Always, you didn't have a- always got to go through the scanner. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Always got to go Nobody through the scanner. Got way through. No, uh, but at the FBI, I hate. It. That's one of the reasons I took it off because you know the FBI has also double doors, and yeah. I just the guys behind the counter, just the way they would look at me. You know, I was literally the only person in the building mm-hmm. with a head cover. After 9-11, especially. Um, yeah. No, at headquarters when I went to work every day. Wow. This is one of my favorite interviews <laughs> of all time. <laughs> oh, I thank you. It was your idea. <laughs> you're so favorite, good at this. One you're, of my favorite guests. You're a good interviewer. Oh, you're you. the best. Thank you. This uh, just all came together at Chili's. Yes. Just like an hour before we went live. Uh, because you're telling the story and I'm going, wait, what are you talking about? And then we were going and looking um, on the internet for stuff. And just to, again, we want to show credibility. I, I never want to come on, especially with you um, and, and just say a bunch of stuff and not show, you know, information. So we were looking up stuff and making sure the dates were correct. And that yes. kind of stuff. So it's important to us that we give you good, solid information, but um, thank you for trying to warn us. <laughs> uh, about uh, Osama bin Laden. I wish uh, the people would listen. It would have saved a lot of lives. Oh, look at Croc's question. Mm-hmm. That is a, a, a yeah, that one. Go ahead. I had a TS clearance in the military and that was intense. I can't imagine the process you had to go through. And I'm sure you had a higher clearance. Oh, what can I tell you about that process? The TSSCI clearance. Uh, people people ask me about that a lot. I, the um. And then he says the, his uh, TS interview was very intrusive. Yeah. Wow. The um, so Crocs, did you do it with a lie detector test, like doing a during a polygraph? Did you have to go through the TS interview in, in a polygraph? Because I went through that several times, and it was extremely intense. Because the questions they ask you are not just intrusive; they're downright offensive, mm-hmm. and it's meant to rattle you. Yeah. And so it's a very, very difficult process. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I told you about my polygraph, polygraph uh, for the police departments that I went through. Every time I went through, the, the, they'd ask me two questions, my name and where I lived. And they'd stop it and said, are you Catholic? I said, well, yeah, I was raised Catholic. It says, because it always says you're lying. You yeah. got you Catholics and feel like you, that you're, you feel guilty about everything. All right. So you got to calm down. So yeah, those polygraphs. So I'm glad that mine didn't go in. Although the psych test did go and ask if you had sex with animals and, right. you know, if you ever played with yourself out in public. And <laughs> it's like, really? This is part of, let, me, let me see these questions. Well, they apparently didn't ask uh, Strock and uh, Lisa Page <laughs> about that because. Yeah. Wow, I don't know. Anybody's with uh, Struck and Page? No, they were. Did you go on a double date with them? No, they were my <laughs> boss's colleagues. Uh, Andy? So, uh, no, my boss was Brian. Andy was his boss. Oh, okay. So they were in those round tables every couple of days. All right. So Amy says, thank you. Thank <clears> you, Amy. I'm sure sharing your experience. Uh, our experiences. Um, anything you want to finish with, or did we cover? No, yes. I'm just, I'm grateful that I was saved you and too. redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's all. I'm so happy that you feel that going to a high school football game and sitting on the stands uh, tired as heck because we woke up at 4.30 in the morning. Yes. That, that was like living in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With me. A horror movie? No. No, are you sure? It was like a, it was a rom-com. <laughs> it was a rom-com. Because it was, and I tell Andy, like, you have to have grace for me because sometimes I do get frustrated because it's so different. It's all so foreign to me. And, um, and to my daughter, mind you, this like very exciting lifestyle I had meant I was never home. So my daughter didn't see me for the first 10 years of her life. And um, I wasn't married to her father. So she had no, she's never had a father around. And she grew up with over a dozen nannies, like every six or eight months, somebody would quit. Mm. And she had to stay home alone with them while I traveled or she was at a friend's house. And it was, it was a hard, it was a really hard life, you know, living out of a suitcase and I blew my knee out and I was shot at and yeah. I got frostbite and I mean, all kinds of crazy, crazy, dangerous things. And so this is just, the Lord just redeemed all those years and gave me the dream I had as a little girl. Wow. You're the first woman I know that, that has a go bag. <laughs> go bag. I got to go. We got a garage that'll last us with food and supplies. Yeah, go garage. We got to go garage <laughs> that'll last us for six months if this apocalypse comes. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so funny. It, it reminds me of that commercial. Have you ever seen that commercial? The guy's like, uh, he's like a 007, right? He's, it's like you, like he's helicoptering on the skids and he's parachuting and he's shooting bad guys and his phone rings, right? It's ringing. And he's like, he's, like throw, he's throwing a hand grenade and he answers the phone. Mom, why are you bothering me at work? He goes, I just want to know, you know, if you were going to come over for dinner. Well, I, have go, a, Mom. I have a similar story. Okay. So I'm in Lebanon. Civil war breaks out. Airport blew up. And my parents called because I had to tell them I was pregnant after the doctors told me after 17 years, I would never get pregnant. I wasn't married. And I'm pregnant and I'm in the civil war and the airport just blew up and my parents are like, come home now. And I'm like, I'm trying. I'm trying. I don't know how, but I'm going to do it. You, you know, black stuff on your face and twigs <laughs> yes. in your hair and you're trying to sneak through. I told you what I did to get out of. Oh yeah. Out you of there. Don't. We can't tell that. <laughs> so yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. So we're going to sign off now. Priscilla says, this was awesome uh, and fascinating. Thank you both.
for your service and sharing your experience. God bless America. God yes, bless God America. Bless America. Uh, and uh, Croc said he I enjoy only having to read a. And now enjoys having only a secret clearance oh. now, <laughs> secret which clearance. doesn't mean they probed your oh, gotcha. rear end yeah. with electrodes. No. <laughs> Some of those guys enjoyed that part. Uh, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you guys. I appreciate it very much. You guys have a great night. Um, and thank you for sharing this with us. But uh, if you could, if you think this is important to other people to see the information that we just laid out, uh, share it. It would do us a great deal of, uh, of, of good. Uh, for people to see what it is that we're doing and uh, especially what, you know, Hedy has got a couple shows going now, as you know, with. Um, yes. Oh, thank glory. you. And Priscilla mentioned yes. that the show was great. Thank you, Priscilla. Yeah. Um, so I think it was Danielle. Was it? It's, it was, it was definitely. It was somebody. My labor was, of love. Sorry. So yeah, somebody, somebody commented. Sorry about that. Hitting the wrong I think it was here. Priscilla. Um, uh, but yeah. Uh, so you have a show on his glory and then we, we have some stuff going on the Christian post. You write an article for Christian post. Yes. And, and we're so, soon going to be part of a podcast network yeah, for our living fearless devotional. Yeah. Things are happening. So please share uh, again. I think people would love to hear uh, what, what goes on in Washington, DC. You know, there, it, there used to be this idea that it was just really all like mm. awesome. It's, it's a circus. It's a circus. <laughs> It's a circus, folks. A circus. <laughs> All right, my friends. Uh, we love you guys. Again, thank you for joining us, and we appreciate uh, you being here with us tonight. Have a great night, and we'll see you. God bless. On the next one. Take care. Bye. 